Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Free Ring Circus of Film Criticism Excitement that is the Asian Cinema Film Club, where tonight Song Kang Ho will be challenging for Championship Gold in the Foul King, and we'll be running down our hits and misses and what you've been watching, as well as presenting the grudge match for the ages with Burrs vs Dinosaurs vs Ninjas! I am one half of the ACT Film Club broadcast team, Elwood Jones, while joining me to my metaphorical right is the Professor of Asian Cinema Knowledge, Mr. Stephen Palmer. If I wasn't expecting that. You <laughs> You've been saving that up for two weeks, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, tonight we are going to be looking at the Korean film, The Foul King, from 2000. Uh, obviously, you're starring Man in the Moment, Sang Kang Ho. Um, but um, welcome, everyone, once again to the Asian Cinema Film Club. Um, you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. But before we obviously get into tonight's very wrestling-themed episode, um, it's time to obviously, as we mentioned, say as what you've been watching. And Stephen, this week we always had a little bit more time between episodes, because um, you decided to go off and... Have I, a break. I, Go out I, I, world I went and... out and had a mental health break. No, I had something else <laughs> on last, last time. <laughs> no, it wasn't as exciting as that. But yes, we've we've had a, we've a couple of weeks between recordings. That's behind the curtain for you. So, have you seen anything interesting at all in that time? Or I have. Um, I've knocked something off my cinema shame, and I finally got round to watching. Um, the sort of the breakthrough international film um, directed by our friend um, Takashi Beat Katano, and I finally got around to watching Fireworks or Hannah Bai. Okay, yeah. Because, um, yeah, I just hadn't watched it, and I was on my must-watch-things-on-Mubai. Um, uh, you know, I, I have to watch two films on it every month, otherwise it's not worth the money. <laughs> and uh, I watched a couple of other things which were really good, but not for this show. But yeah, I, and Fireworks came up on my list and I thought, oh, you know, I've never seen that. And um, God, that's so good. Um, have you seen it? I have. I remember Hannah yeah. by being released. This was, I want to say, put out by Artificial... I wouldn't say Artificial I put this one. It's either Artificial Eye or Tartan who put this one out. I have a feeling it... It was. It Tartan, might. To be it might have been Tartan. Yeah. So it's 1997, which would make it prime Tartan, wouldn't it? Sort of. Yeah. 97 this, through to early 2000s. Because they had this one and they had dolls. That's right. And these were yes. like the two oddities of the what the the beat uh, Takashi Katana moves that we had coming up. Because at the same time you had Violent Cop, Sonata Time, and Boiling mm. Point. That's right. uh, so you had this sort of like um, his sort of like violent gangster flicks. You had Gonin one and two, um, also came out around this this point. So with with Hannah Bai, it was sort of like this real sort of curiosity, and I saw it like popping up on a lot of like um, sort of like hidden gem movie lists. It would be like mm. one of these these movies that um, would appear there, but. I would say in recent years it's sort of like gained a new lease of life, and I think a lot more people are sort of discover, sort of discovering it, um, which like is me. good because it, <laughs> it's very different than his other films of this era. It's um yeah, it's I just looking at the little mini review I put in my letterbox D and 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 the sort of second line is remarkably accomplished because you know we we've spoken about him a lot especially through our battle royale podcast and the fact that he's like this you know he's he's effectively in japan he's best known for being a comedian and a tv star and actually people didn't take his filmmaking career in japan very seriously until this film because it got all this international acclaim but it's like it's you know on one hand the way it opens you know it's it's this cop and he's hard as nails and does violent things and i was thinking oh this is just going to be your normal yakuza type film and then suddenly it, it's a really it, it is that and it's a really touching film and it's really put together in a sort of non-linear way as well and it's got loads to say about masculinity in, in Japanese society, but without being preachy and it's sad and it's happy and it's got an ending that's a bit 
well, I don't think the ending's up for any debate, but if you look at any forums or anything, there's people saying, what happened at the end? Did he... Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but you just think, did you all fall asleep? But yeah, it's it's so good because it just operates at all these different levels and it just wasn't what I was expecting at all. And I don't want to talk too much about it because I, I wonder if we might talk about it on another episode. Um because yeah, I just yeah, just that's a really good film, and just wasn't what I was expecting at all. Um, and just layers, and yeah, damn you, Stephen, for not watching it for twenty five years. <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself, mate? For myself, well, first off, we get to enjoy the fact that I went and took one of your recommendations. Well, it's both you and Rashmi who recommended that I check out RRR. Um, obviously from 2022 and uh, now currently on Netflix the movie which I think has helped give it a bigger audience it's really turned into quite the cool tit and I know that uh, the picture house or sorry the Prince Charles are doing screenings of this movie as well but yes Rise, Roar and Revolt the three hour bromance movie Um, I have to say for like all the outlandishness that they choose to highlight in this, it was actually a very enjoyable film. And certainly it's not my usual field of entertainment because I've said previously that a lot of uh, cinema of this region, it tends to be really over the top of the CGI and goes completely uh, cocoa bananas with things. And that seems to be like their jam. But with uh, this one, it had a very good story. Uh, we had the <laughs> the evil British. And we had some singing and dancing, but yeah, while they obviously introduced like love interests with both these uh these burly Indian men, they seem more interested in like uh, each other as we see prolonged scenes of them lifting each other up, um, <laughs> riding motorcycles and horses through the countryside, and uh, generally just uh, engaging in acts of burliness with each other. It, it is it, like complete off the rails at the end. It is, it is it is a very sweaty and muscly bromance film, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, but I I yeah, like I said last episode, I I'm not usually into these kind of films either. But I was just blown away by it. Where, am I going to go back and watch it again? No, but I am going to tell other people to watch it. <laughs> that's the, that's the thing about it. Yeah, and I really liked how these two characters are obviously interested. It's basically the first story is basically Ongbok, but instead of uh, a, um, a a statue, it's a young girl he's after, and he has a really cool name. He's the Shepherd, which I thought was really cool. And he's his counterpart's obviously the Super Cop, who we see just like beating Seven Shades out of the locals during his introduction and I thought he was really cool and it takes a lot to pull off a, a fine moustache like that it has to be said not only that but he's able to that moustache is able to come and go as the plot demands he, he like that at one point he shaves it all off I think that's his undercover is he shaves it off right and then when he stops being undercover he's grown it all back again and more <laughs> it's like tomorrow I'll have a moustache I mean he's a very he is a very hairy man, but his his ability to grow the moustache as and when the plot requires it is fantastic. Yes, he is a burly man, and his chest knows what is expected of him. Yeah. <laughs> Much like his facial hair. Uh, I love the fact as well at the end when he like becomes this god of war-like um, figure that he, he thanks his friends for giving him the cool digs. Yeah. Um, it's yeah it's completely nutty but somehow it all works um so i sort of like just rode with it and the fact that you got like ray stevenson in this one um who and you've also got like a the really you've got that general who's just like a real uh brooding uh Oh, it's, it's like a real uh, brute. And the fact is, why it's even worse when uh, we get into yeah. the whole Braveheart moment and it's sort of like, I was promised a bloody spectacle. And it pulls out the barbed whip. It's yeah, like, yeah it's, they should it's, do it. It's, it's not a sensitive and nuanced portrayal of the British Raj. It's, uh, <laughs> and it's like, you will kneel. And he's like, no, I will not kneel. And Sparks is like, whole uprising with the locals. It's like, 
it it's very boring for many things, but doing something very interesting with it at the same time. Mm. Um, and the fact as well that we get so many great action beats in this film uh, just really sort of really keeps you engaged like the full three hours. And yes, we have the scene where he's like single-handedly restraining a tiger. Uh, we have the scene where they drive a truck full of zoo animals into <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> into that party. And but remember, it, you know, the, one of my favourite bits is the second opening car where it says, "Hey guys, these are all CGI animals. Don't worry about it." <laughs> as if, as if it was going to be real. <laughs> well, at least they, they put more effort in CGI than a lot of uh, sort of Western productions. So I give them that. <coughs> uh, yeah, um, I mean. I have, I have to. I don't think it's perfect. I think the tiger, for, in particular, probably gets more screen time than the CGI should allow it to. But it's just nuts. And you know, as 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 I said last time, you know, these these guys are based on real, genuine heroes of the revolution who never met, and just to turn them into these superhero types is just. I don't know. I just, I just loved its bravado and. And I don't like three-hour movies, and I was able to watch this one from beginning to end. Oh, I chipped away of it over the course of a Sunday. Mm. Um, and again, I'm watching this on my phone because you know, it's the only place you can get some a decent pair of uh, noise-cancelling headphones and your phone you're, you're sorted when having yeah. to deal with family life around your movie-watching requirements. So. <laughs> I mean, I, I might if 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 it so happened that it appeared at a cinema near me, and I had a lazy Sunday afternoon to, I might be intrigued to see what a spectacle it would be on the on the big screen. But I'm not going away to London to watch it at the Prince Charles. Yeah, um, there was some other bits of world cinema as well. I checked out The Innocence from 2021, um, which is the movie with the the psychic kids on the uh, housing estate. Uh, it's directed by uh, Isgil Voigt. I'm not sure whereabouts this one's from. Um, I want to say it's Norwegian. Uh, oh, yeah, Nord. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's Norwegian. It is Norwegian, yes. So it, lo- it looks a little, um, what's it called? Village of the Damned. It's kind of like, do you remember Chronicle? Yes. With the kids getting superpowers. Yep. And one becomes a supervillain. Think gotcha. that, but with younger kids and more okay. range of abilities. Um, the, again, the instance, this is the instance of the sort of movie I watch, and I think you know we really should just like branch out and do a sub show on like a world cinema film club. Um, as we've often talked about on this show before, so if you want to see that happen, you know, let us know. And but no, the instance is a really fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, uh, basically you've got these four children who discover that they've got different psychic abilities one's an empath the others um sort of psychic uh, um sort of like psychic powers to control things with his mind and it's basically watching these these kids as uh the power basically affects them in different ways um with the young girl at the center of the film she's got a mentally handicapped sister who may also be one of the more powerful psychics amongst them uh, which makes her an interesting angle. And it's really interesting when you have a story that goes as dark as this one does. And I think the fact it's a Norwegian movie, um, we've seen movies such as like Let the Right One In or Let Me In. I always forget which way around it is. but um, um, Yeah, I think I think it's... Oh, I can never remember. But yes, they're both really good films, but yes. The, we've seen a lot of uh, mm. movie, horror movies from Europe recently that are just going a lot darker than... Uh, than their western counterparts and i think this one is definitely worth checking out even if it isn't uh, asian cinema it's worth uh, it's not way enough to mention much like another round which um i also caught this morning and it's it's funny when you watch uh mads mickelson do something other than hannibal lecter and you realize that <laughs> you know like beat takashi takano he's also mr light entertainment in his native denmark indeed um yeah, as he plays one of a group of friends who explore this theory that uh, we're born with a negative blood alcohol level and by raising it to 0.5 that we can become like creative and more sort of confident members of society so they form these like rules that they're just going to be drinking from 8 a.m to 8 p.m and see how it like affects their lives and yeah it's uh 
a very very it's a very good film and another one worth adding to your watch list as well if you're a fan of world cinema yeah it's on my it's on my to watch list never, 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 still haven't got around to watching it but you've really fascinated me about this the innocence film now but I the see innocence on... yeah team member steph turned me on to it because she's got her whenever anything's like some weird <laughs> horror comes along she's always like the first one to to tell me about it and it's all like oh have you seen this it's like no i've not heard of this at all and now i really want to see it there's yeah. uh, no one called the hatchling which i think is a british production that i also want to see as well which you mentioned so yeah so it's on um yes i found it on amazon it's on prime S- it's on sky movies as well at the moment cool i will um i will definitely watch that that's right up my alley i you know as you know i love a bit of nordic noir anyway and and uh yes it's got a it's got a real sort of village of the damned look which is another thing i love and yep. uh and if your yeah, chronicle's good as well that's when josh trank could make a movie <laughs> <laughs> and um was it uh, john lance's son wrote that one did he yeah okay yeah, that's a good film. Back on the Asian cinema track, though, um, I checked out Time from 2021, which was one of Kim over on her movie and T and Tranquil Dreams. It was one of her top film discoveries of last year. Um, and it's now available on YouTube. It um, appeared along with Hand Roll Cigarette with no fanfare whatsoever and no title card, if I remember right, for this one. Okay. But it's um, directed by Ricky Coe and stars... Um, Nicholas Tay's father, Patrick, um, who gets to reunite with his uh, long-term counterpart, uh, Fung Bobo. I'm just throwing names out there. I know, I'm, I'm, nod- I'm nodding, which doesn't make for great podcasting. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, basically, they, um, along with Lam Suet, who's like some odd casting, but he works really well here. They're a trio of assassins who, back in their heyday, were like the shit. And mm. now they're facing old age and the fact that, that, you know, there's no old age home for retired assassins. And Fung Bobo, play, uh, who plays Fung, she's now owns a cabaret club. Um, whereas uh, Patrick Tay, who plays Chow, who still keeps up his, like, lightning fast knife skills. But he's basically struggling to find his place in society while the driver Chung, here played by Lam Suet, is in kind of a unrequited love affair with a prostitute and the trio decide that they're going to use their assassin skills to help euthanize old people <laughs> who want to hire them for their services and it can be a number of reasons they are just lonely or they're suffering terminal illness and they basically hire them and they they turn up and euthanize them and it's while on one of these jobs that uh, he meets a young girl um called uh tease Ying, who say played by uh, Ching Sweet Ying, who is taken under the wing of uh, Chow. It's very much like Leon, where he um, starts taking her on as his apprentice and she's like learning the skills, only to discover the fact that she's pregnant and her boyfriend has run out and, uh, and the trio decide to uh, help her. This is a film which is constantly skipping plot lines and genres, and yet it's somehow got this charm that really keeps it all together. Um, especially as you see these, this trio of um, this trio of assassins just basically trying to find their way in this world, and the fact when they get to show that they haven't quite lost the skills, even despite the the fact they're older in age and how these once revered uh, people have now sort of fallen on hard at times just purely because they've gotten older and it's an interesting sort of commentary on the treatment of uh, the older generation in like Hong Kong but um, yeah it's another one I would recommend uh, checking out, I really enjoyed it and yeah I can't explain why so much so I think it's a lot to do with the, the charm that one had Remind me what it was called again? Time Okay, it's uh, as I say, it's on Netflix here in the UK, and it's released in twenty twenty one. Look at you with your modern um, films. I know. <laughs> and then I then I listened to you and uh, checked out Underwater Love from twenty eleven. <gasps> yes, and <laughs> what the hell is this, Stephen? <laughs> this is this is a pink film. There's also a musical. 
because the pink genre is anything but flexible. Yeah, um, although it is also a German film. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it may it may have the appearance of being Japanese. <laughs> it's German, and is it? It's directed. Is it? Oh no, no, it is directed. It's directed by, by Shinji. Um, Emoka, yeah, but and Christopher Doyle does the cinematography. And if you buy the DVD like I did, you get a CD of the soundtrack as well. Oh, I'm and, sure you just listen to that all the time. Oh, the soundtrack's fantastic by German Magnus There's Stereo one Total. good song, mate. It's a fantastic. I, I I've just seen though. I've just seen the cover, which is on the Wikipedia page. Ain't nothing like the cover on the version I've got. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's nuts, isn't it? It's it's, but it's a kind of nuts movie I love. But yes, um, yeah, yeah, this God. one's uh, put out by Third Wind Films. Um, it is, yeah. But it was uh, Askua, who's a woman who is set to to marry her boss. Uh, she works in a fish factory and encounters a kappa, who's a water sprite in Japanese mythology. They like to challenge people to sumo and eat cucumbers, but they have to keep themselves constantly wet. They've got like a teddle beak and shell. Um, basically, have you ever thought, well, I really want to see a musical version of a Shape of Water, uh, but I want to see it done less well. And you pretty much have underwater love. Well, it 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 predates Shape of Water by quite a lot. I know it, date, it predates and, and it, it. I'm and it, sure that. And and it I'm doesn't sure that maybe. Saw this is like I could do this so much better. If you've ever wanted to see a capper's penis, that's that's more important. My God. <laughs> I I I think I thought it was utterly charming, and I love that. I love the soundtrack, and the whole film was shot in five and a half days, mate, and not one scene was given a second take. <laughs> So, I can tell. And I'm because yeah, it's it's rough and ready, but it's just fun, and yeah, but it, it, you won't watch many co-productions between Germany and Japan. <laughs> Do you remember that episode of South Park where um, they discover those weird bird creatures at the pond mm-hmm. that Carmen really likes, but nobody else does, and they import, yeah. they send them off to France. That's yeah. basically what I thought I was watching here. <laughs> Well, so essentially, in this story, your Cartman, <laughs> when we send him off to France, and he's like, "No, come back." Ah, uh, but no, the the opening song's really good, and it just goes rapidly downhill from there. But yeah, oh. the, there's some naughtiness in there if you want to. Yeah, it's not. It's not like hardcore porn or anything. It's it's classic pink weirdness. <laughs> But yes, if you ever wanted to um, see someone shag someone from Super Mario World, that's what you're going to get. So yes, yeah, so that was um, how the month played out. As I was saying before we came on, the rest of my my week off has um, been just basically spent catching up on all the movies that I should have uh, seen by now. Been watching the Doug Stanhope segments from New Swipe, mm-hmm. which I will send over to you because I can't repeat them on here. <laughs> that's um what i've been watching um i've got nothing else to add on that no we've had a busy we've had a busy you've had a busy week busy couple it's of a, weeks it i must a busy I mu- week i mustn't cause... let you have the extra week again i know because as i said i've not had any other recordings so when i've got nothing else on it is just a case of like lying around on my couch watching well binge watching films um and uh, yeah, that's basically what it is. Just a lot of catch up on on things, and just like watching stuff that I think everyone else watched like two years ago, like Interstellar. So, if you uh, want you're... to, uh, if you want to see my opinions on that and hear me watch, look at me bad mouth the latest Fast and Furious movie, you know, feel free to come and follow me on uh, Letterboxes. It's under Elwood underscore Jones. Um, you can also find Stephen on there as well. What's your one, Stephen? Um, I think it's Guelo Ramblings, isn't it? Yes, it is. So, yeah, like, like, G-W-E-I-L-O Ramblings. Maybe we'll put it in the, um, podcast we'll notes, notes thing. 
That's it. Yep. That's the word I'm after. Yeah. You'll see yeah. what sort of random films we watch all the time. Like, why am I watching every film from the 80s and 90s at the moment? <laughs> Could be another podcast on its own. And, and why why, uh, why have I only one starred Stanley Kubrick's Lolita? And that's because I can't give it no stars. <laughs> You like can, that. but yeah, no, to. and I could no because obviously there are films which are worse than it. <laughs> um, there's um, a whole bunch of King Kui movies that have also been added to Arrow Player as we're recording this. So probably on the next episode, we're going to probably be talking about a few more of those. There's a couple of other bits of Asian cinema that's also leaving the player as well, which I'm going to try and cram in as well. So, but um, yeah, you can watch classics like uh, Dragon Inn. Or raining in the mountains, or touches Zen. If I got three hours to chip away at that one, yeah. So they're like the King Who Taiwan era, yes. Um, King Who, They're all really good, but they are very different beast to the Hong Kong um, sort of uh, action kung fu movies. They're a little more. Um, they're a real pre sort of precursor to like uh, Crouching Tiger and Dragon. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I love them all. I mean, Dragon Inn's a bit different, but yes, Raining in the Mountain. Did I not do an Eastern Kicks podcast on that or something? I don't know. I there think was a few. Did. I think I did, yeah, like Eureka were pumping them. Oh, no, it must be Arrow, obviously, because they were the Arrow player. <laughs> but they were, they were pumping them out for a bit. I think I'm not sure if it's Arrow who put this one out. I think it's Eureka. Yeah, I had in my head Eureka. It's because I had a review copy, so I don't see it on my... Um, and review copies these days are just on streaming sites so I, I have no long term ownership of some of these things but yeah cool, cool, yes yes you'll have to, definitely, I'll have to give you another week off to catch up on some of them on a completely different note it's time to find the objective for tonight's feature presentation which tonight we're going to be looking at The Foul King So the Foul King is a wrestling comedy from 2000, uh, starring Song Kang Ho, um, in which he plays uh, Dae Ho, an unproductive bank clerk who is struggling to find his uh, his lot in life. He works, as I say, he works at the bank. His manager is a sadistic asshole, and at the same time, he's a fan of wrestling and finds himself stumbling into the world of wrestling when they're looking for a Someone that they can bring in to help build up a, a new talent that uh, that is going on to sort of like the big time. And in doing so, he takes on the persona of this cheating wrestler known as the Foul King. Um, Stephen, this is your pick. It is. Guilty. Um, well, I think as I said at the back end of the last episode, you, I know you're a big fan of wrestling. And bless your heart. You you do try and get me interested in it, and it's just one of those things that just flies over my head. But I think director Kim Ji Woon is obviously you know we've um we've covered a couple of his films before, um, Taylor Two Sisters obviously and Bittersweet Life, um and this is sort of like one of his earlier films. And I thought it'd be interesting to go back and look at like really early Kim Ji Woon. Um these these sort of you know he made you know. Uh, the Quiet Family, which is a fantastic black comedy, which was remade by Takashi um, Miike as uh, blah, 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 The Happiness of the Katakuris. This is his sports film. He's made a, a really interesting vampire film called Coming Out. He made his horror film. He made his Yakuza film. He made, well, Japanese, Korean gangster, but I'll, we'll call it Yakuza film. He made his Western in The Good, The Bad, The Weird. He made his serial killer film in I Saw the Devil and, and so on. So he just he, he makes these genre films but puts his own spin on it. <coughs> so The Foul King is his, you know, that's his sports film. But also it's got Song Kang Ho in it, who's just like fantastic in anything. And um, I hadn't seen it for a long, long time. And I don't think I'd really paid attention when I first watched it. So I thought, oh, what an opportunity to give Elwood... A film about something that he loves, and I can rewatch this film again and see if it's any good. 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, obviously, as you mentioned already, I mean, I am a big fan of uh, professional wrestling, the sport of kings, the violent ballet that it is. And it was rather good timing as well, obviously, with AEW having forbidden door where they're growing up against New Japan Pro Wrestling, which has a surprisingly large amount of white wrestlers for a Japanese wrestling promotion. But we will uh, put that to one side. But no, in Japan wrestling is um, viewed as a, as a sport. It's got very highly regarded, um, much like Mexico, which is like a religion, and Canada, which is more of a legacy. Um, so it's very surprising that Korea, of all places, would make a wrestling movie. I'm not too sure what Korea's sort of relationship with wrestling is, although from what we gather here, it's uh, that we can see it's to be considered to be a very good one because uh, this, even though the sort of wrestling that we see here is kind of like flea market wrestling it's yeah. hardly like big crowds that he ends up wrestling in and it's also a film which goes in much like time goes in some very unique directions as while it initially you think oh he's going to be like this bank clerk who then becomes a wrestler and we're going to follow him um with the wrestling thing it's sort of like more him becoming a character that helps him in the rest of his life um that becomes sort of like the focus of the story even though the wrestling element i would say is actually kind of underused here despite it being seemingly set up as this central plot point so yeah so sort of going back in korea the big sports are taekwondo which obviously this film references doesn't it quite early on because that's where he starts trying to He's getting beaten up by his boss, and he wants to find out how to get out of her neck hold, <laughs> stranglehold. But it's oh yeah, football. the uh, was it the chokehold of doom? Was... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the sports in Korea are taekwondo, football or soccer for our American friends, and baseball. Very similar to Japan, really. Um, you know, there's the local martial arts, soccer, and yeah, it was and baseball. Korea like the mar- well, I can't remember. If it was a Korea or Japan where. When we had no sport, had no baseball in America, that everyone just started watching like the the Korean leagues, or the Japanese leagues, yeah, because they were ab- the only ones running. And a- absolutely, yeah, they got really obsessed with the bat flips. Yeah, no, absolutely. They these these sports are bizarrely huge in Southeast Asia. Like, I, well, it's because of the Americans. Um, so, so football, you know, discount football, but baseball because you know of the Americans post World War Two were and korean war and all that you know they were embedded into those cultures and have brought that love of baseball along didn't bring a love of american football along bizarrely but maybe because southeast asian people aren't big and burly enough to play it sorry sumo wrestlers um anyway where were we going with this um yes yeah it's um it is a bit hyper real isn't it in, in terms of it's like the way that his boss his boss is one of those shouty Southeast Asian bosses we see in every drama that involves an office that workplace um, niceties haven't really caught up in Korean society (laughs) and there's a lot of shouting and humiliation but it's not just shouting you can you can you can turn up late to the work meeting go go for a wee and be attacked by your boss and held in the chokehold of doom as a punishment (laughs) And I'm not sure that he isn't kept on just because his boss likes doing that to him. But uh, his boss does really seem to have a thing about trying to fight him constantly. Um, well, indeed, I mean that that which is the backbone, the beginning and end of the film, isn't it? Um, and he's he, this is also the thing. It's not like he's like um, some meathead boss like you. No, you, he's you just seeing this. He's just like some bespectacled middle-aged man like, in a suit. Yeah. <laughs> He sort of yeah, disappears don't... out of nowhere to constantly <laughs> attack him. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it, I mean, th- let's face it, this is... Maybe it's not a black comedy like The Quiet Family, but it's definitely a bit of a sort of oddball humour thing going on. Don't take anything too seriously, which then gives it a pass and some of the other things that it lets lets go. But, yes, and, and I remember now where my brain was going with this. So, you know, you called it, what do you call it? Flea market wrestling? Flea market what, wrestling, yeah, basic um, because these are they're basically wrestling in like high school gyms. Um, that at one point they are actually wrestling at a market where you have these scattered audiences who basically turned up to see this traveling troupe of wrestlers that he finds himself belonging to, and 
It felt very sort of true to form in the fact that when you, especially if you live down here where we actually have local federations and it's um, d just like when you first start uh, the rest of this is like the gigs that you have where you wrestle in high school gyms and markets basically in front of very little people for very little money and you're crammed in a van with many people. Mm. <laughs> it reminded people then come out to see your ass so. My um my only real experience of this, I mean, I, I actually I have got a friend who who does go to those kind of wrestling matches and very much into the British scene. But it reminded me, there's um, I want it's a Louis Theroux. I can't think if it's a World Weekends yeah or a later one where he looks at the world of wrestling and yes he does pop into the world of WWE for a bit, but actually he's comparing and contrasting it to these local scenes where basically just fairly ordinary guys. Like you say, Friday night, school gymnasium, 50 people watching them. And it's all about how to put on a show. So they're all carrying around bits of barbed wire and and, <laughs> and, 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 and sharp little knives to get nicked and cut and bleed. And that's very much the world that, um, that our lead character here gets sort of drawn into. Although he does seem to know, he seems to be a wrestling fan because he seems to know all about... Because the guy that's training him, He's actually one of his old heroes, isn't it? He's a he's a wrestler from before who was the heel. Is it called the heel normally? I think yeah, the they... heel in yeah the the villain is the heel and the yeah. hero is called the face. Um, and if you're somewhere between, you're a tweener. But people don't invest in fact. Real wrestlers don't tend to use these things. It's just like. Smart asses who like who think they're uh, the part of the business who like to refer to people about faces and heels and just talking to him like a normal person. <laughs> yeah, but he's you know his his favourite character was the bad guy in the because sorry people but wrestling is fixed and it's a show and it's <laughs> it's a predetermined contest. It's it, it, well, it's, it's, a, it's 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 like a play, and but it, I think there is a bit of. You know, these are really highly... If they weren't highly trained, they'd be doing themselves a lot of damage. And I am going to suggest that this film goes away from that a little bit. It's certainly in the big fight, which clearly isn't predetermined. <laughs> They're hurting each other quite a lot. But let's get there. But, yes, it's, but it's interesting. You know, he, 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 he's obviously a fan of wrestling and, and the chance to be... Um, coached by somebody he was inspired by as a young man that's kind of important and and as you say this he he blossoms he, instead of being this nerdy little salary man who's bullied by kids in the street and he lives with his dad who bullies him and, he's, and he, his boss bullies him and he doesn't really have the balls to do anything in his life um wrestling kind of just gives him a a secret, a secret life, which actually impacts his real life a lot more, although not as much as I'd like. But yeah, we'll get I mean, to that. he he ends up like drawing a lot of his uh, confidence from the mask that he wrestles under um, when he becomes the the Falcon, and he has this completely disastrous first match where he's given all these props to use, and he's given what he believes to be a fake fork, but he gets mixed up with a real fork. So he ends up stabbing his opponent in oh, the head. Oh, mate, in the fucking eye. Oh. I mean, you knew that was going to happen from the minute he got given the wooden fork, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you have this great cutaway to this, to uh, one of the, the workers who's there going to eat all like these these meals and he's got this fake fork and like, the middle bit falls out of it and he's like, yes. oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because this this troop he joins, they've only got two wrestlers, haven't they? <laughs> and he, he pretty much, yeah. And yeah, it's one of the other wrestlers who's while the other two are having their fight, he's going around trying to get some food. Because I think that's all they get paid in, basically, is food. <laughs> and yeah, and I don't, don't I don't even know how they mixed up the forks, but it's just it, it is really well done. <laughs> and you just think, oh shit, we know where this is going. <laughs> oh. I, I, I I really enjoyed that aspect of it, the sort of the black comedy aspect of it, because yeah, that first fight is a disaster. <laughs> um, and it's it's kind of a shame, really, because it sort of like glosses over all this. Where we could obviously follow him as he like becomes a goes from being a bad wrestler to a slightly better wrestler. 
Um, kind of like we saw with like Nacho Libra. And that's kind of what I was hoping for with this film, but it never really quite, as I say, it never quite lives up to the promise that it has. It has these great moments um, throughout, but at the same time, it feels like, kind of like disjointed as though it didn't know quite what it wants to be. Um, yeah, I'd absolutely agree. So my, so my criticism of it, sort of similar but the same, is is that there's there's a whole bunch of subplots. Um, there's the boss who wants to strangle him, right? That never really gets resolved, but does become, you know, it becomes the final scene of the movie, and make of that what you will. But there's like a romantic subplot with the girl that actually is the real trainer, that that he obviously has some kind of relationship with, but never goes anywhere. There is the, um, you know, at the moment they there might something might happen. He goes off and decides to have a fight with his boss again there's the um there's a subplot with his colleague who's being asked to give a loan to criminals and the boss character is encouraging to do so but basically setting it up the other guy for a fall but nothing really comes of any of it and so what we end up is there's two three four five different subplots his relationship with his father as well. And we never really get any kind of resolution with any of them, unless I've completely forgotten in the okay. two weeks since we've seen it. But to me, I'd, I could have done without two of those subplots and had a bit more wrestling and a bit more comedy and a bit more tying up of things. Just felt a bit incomplete. So, yeah, I mean, you obviously mentioned already about uh, the the whole loans storyline that's going on in this for some reason this film really wanted to make something of the bank it's it's no longer where the audience has sort of moved off and gone off on the wrestling storyline the, the director really seemed really hung up on giving us stories from the bank and i have no idea why yeah well <laughs> yeah i just think it, it it's got these ambitions to be a bigger story maybe than he's able to pull off at this time <laughs> and I think he makes some decisions he starts some ideas off you know the stories from the bank the stories the, the, the potential little love affair these other things the, the, there is a whole story at the bank which I just don't think he ever really fully completes and I think that's to the detriment of the strength of the film which is you know quite a humorous story about a normal guy becoming a a, a, a wrestler. I was going to call him a boxer then for some reason. <laughs> no, he might as well be though. I mean, it's funny as well because normally when we follow this this path, it's sort of like, oh, we want him to see him be like become the champion and succeed. And instead, it's just more about him having the ability to beat up his boss. Um, and uh, yes, I mean the film obviously throws us a couple of curveballs here and there that a potential romantic. Uh, sorry, uh, that. A potential like a love interest falls flat in the moment when you think that oh this is a moment where he's going to like finally get the girl and it just goes horribly wrong and he just runs off to the subway, which is bizarrely funny <laughs> to myself. <laughs> also, we have um, obviously sort of that that as we've described, it's sort of initial fights are in pretty low rent places, and then suddenly they're fighting what appears to be a higher calibre of wrestler from Japan, which it, it sort of turns up very quickly in the film as the protagonist. And then they have this sort of lockdown, drag-out fight that isn't really obeying any of the rules. And, it, and it's kind of cool, but I don't really understand what all the upset's about <laughs> other than you know the cheating that's going on. And let's face it, he's hardly on a... You know, he's the one that's doing the bad stuff. So I don't, I didn't really get, I didn't really get it. I didn't really get that final fight where all the antagonism was coming from, other than, oh, he hurt him for real. Yeah, it sort of goes out of the out of the window at the end. The the whole logic mm. of this one. So it's, I I wanted to like it more than than I did. I've had this one on my watch me watch pile for quite some time. Um, along with uh, Sumo Can, Sumo Don't, which I also have to see on another another day. Uh, but 
I mean, I would have to give give credit to our uh, our leading man here, who actually did all the wrestling himself. So, uh, if you watch the making of, you can see uh, Song Kang Ho doing like all the all his own wrestling. It's not like they drafted someone in, even though they probably could have, because obviously it's he's wrestling under a mask most of the time. Mm. So, yeah, and and let's let's give the whole wrestling thing some credit, right? It's it might not be of the highest quality, but people are doing it themselves. And Song Sang Kong Ho at this time is a youngish. I guess he's in his early twenties when when this was made. And yeah, he's just a normal bloke. <laughs> he's not some kind of muscle man. He's not someone who's, you know, if this had been made in Hollywood, we'd hear stories how Christian Bale spent six months in the gym bulking up to for this role. <laughs> Do you, yeah. do you know what I mean? But instead, what we've got is a really good actor that just throws himself into the role and just does everything. And and I think the I, I'm not I don't want to diminish it by saying it's amateurish because I think he's doing things you or I couldn't do, right? It's it's you know it's, it's but there is that kind of homemade feel to it, which I think appeals to me that it's not all. Mm. He doesn't. He doesn't end up in the WWE or anything like that. It, it still remains fairly low rent, and it, things hurt. You know, the guy. They all really genuinely get hurt. He ends up in the hospital in a really bad way. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the other wrestlers that we meet, you know, they we see them in in like the van after after matches. Spending hours fixing their um, their ailments, which again reminds me of that Louis Theroux documentary. It's always stuck with me. Those those guys that are wrestling in like I want to say in like in some local state local town ring, and they're just normal blokes who are getting hurt for money. <laughs> and I don't even know if they've got any inclination of going up. It's not you know like when you watch baseball movies and 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 the people in the minors are going to the show you know they're gonna go and play in the <laughs> major leagues there's none of that feel it's just no this is our job and we just get paid to get hit and bleed <laughs> there's that lovely element of that and it keeps it fairly real that way yeah i mean certainly with the with the, with these guys i mean the whole thing with him being brought in is just so that they can have a super villain to build up this guy that they're trying to really push and that uh, they feel that by having this wrestler whose whole gimmick is just to cheat, that they can they can just sort of scrape it by with uh, with his character, um, only for him to obviously get more sort of drawn into into the uh, this world. But Sang Song Kang Ho as an actor though has been in such a wide range of roles. When you look at him, he's like in Joint Security Areas and The Drug King. He's in Quiet Family, which you mentioned already. He's in a bunch of uh, Bong Joon Ho movies like Memories of Murder and The Host. And Snowpiercer and Parasite and all of those, he's played yeah. completely different characters to the ones that we see him play. There's no sort of like, oh, this is his sort of character. And he's not one of the pretty boy actors as well. Maybe like Lee Byung Hun or um, who's a fellow in a man from nowhere, Young Bin, and and he's just a. I, I mean, I'm I'm going to say it, mate. I think he's probably the greatest contemporary korean actor and that shows because he tends to be in films by really great directors there's got to be something there hasn't there and uh i, I i'd happily watch him in anything um he's in, he's in parasite as well wasn't he, he is yes, in parasite, of course he yeah. was yeah so you know and he'd be a face that even maybe westerners would recognize from his work in parasite his work in snowpiercer but yeah check out his stuff because he's he's just genuinely a good actor and like you say he's not restricted to genre he's not restricted to types of roles and he's aged well definitely so i think the only other actor that i would say sort of stands out in the korean scene really would be modern sook who's in train to busan mm -hmm. good the bad the weird uh the gangster of the cop of the devil which we talked about in the last episode yeah, uh, and of course, uh, good, the bad, the weird. Song Kang Ho's in that as well. Yes, he is. Um, I think he's the weird, isn't he? Yes, he is. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, he is. Um, another another film I need to go back and watch. I sure. keep saying I'm going to go back and watch it, but I also remember it's really long. 
It's quite long, yeah. Um, but that was like one of that trilogy of where Japan, Hong Kong, and Korea had all put out their version of a Western. Um, yeah, Takashi Miike put out his um, Western with all speaking phonetic, um, phonetic, phonetic English. English yeah. uh, was it uh, Sayaki? Yeah, Sayaki uh, Western Django. And then we it. had uh, Let the Bullets Fly, which was uh, Cherry on Fat's vehicle. Yeah. And then we had The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, which I think was arguably the best of the three, even though as much as I love um, Western Django. But Oh, I mean, yeah, it's easily the best. And it's got three of the greatest Korean actors in it as well. So it's, a, and, and yeah, it's a really, it's a really good film. We will definitely come back and look at it. But like you say, it's, we may, you know, we have to, we have to, um, spread out our love for this director <laughs> a little bit because <laughs> we could we, we we've covered more of his he's probably the second most covered director after Takashi Miike or Sion Sono maybe so probably as our third one yeah Sono we've I think we have two left to cover because we haven't done Paprika yet and we haven't done Memories and then yeah, we t- yeah. then we've done them all um which yeah. we really sad really because uh, because you know the fact that we have to, it just reminds us of the fact that there's not going to be any more Sono movies. But there's never, there's never going to be any more. It's like con movies. It reminds yeah. me of that, um, that line in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where he's trying to come to realization that it's been destroyed. It's like there's no such thing as a McDonald's cheeseburger, and that's why <laughs> for some reason that's why I feel with when it comes to see on Sono, it's like there's never going to be another see on Sono movie, and you just. This man struck down in his prime. You don't. You don't mean Sion Sono. You mean Khan, don't you? That's um, right, Satoshi Khan. Yeah, yeah. But uh, God, we've come the, to the, a lot the, of Sono movies as well, haven't we? <laughs> we we have, but yes, um, yeah. So we, but we haven't done very many Park Chan Wook movies, which is interesting. I think we, but we're kind of avoiding that for for, for specials. Uh, yeah, Park Chan Wook <laughs> is is tricky because obviously he did the Vengeance trilogy. Um, and we did we did first. We've done first. We've done the handmaid. Done. Yes, we have. Uh, so, yeah. but we've got old boy sympathy for lady and Mister Vengeance and potentially some others. We've um we skirted around them because we're gonna do it for one of our anniversary episodes. It's just our audience took us somewhere else. Yes, they decided they want us to watch nine hours of. The Unsono. What <laughs> <laughs> five hours of which was one movie? Mm. But then again, I, I mean, I look back at that episode and I think it was it was a it was a right choice. We got to see. Well, we got to watch Sion Sono movies before we found out he was a terrible yes, person. Which yeah. it be, before it became before it um, he became like the Polanski of Asian cinema. Yeah, where it's like. I appreciate the art, but this is very wrong for me to be watching this. Indeed. Well, it puts a lot of things into context, doesn't it? Anyway, never mind. Happier things. Um, so I think what you're saying is you quite like this one, but it's not a, it, it, It's not in the essential No, part. it's not a lead pipe look. If you're looking for a wrestling movie, I think there's definitely better wrestling movies out there. I mean, obviously, the top of the pile is obviously always going to be Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler. Um, bizarrely followed by Nacho Libre, but if you want to obviously keep it in Asian cinema, then I would recommend checking out the Calamari Wrestler, which is the one I was very surprised when you said, "Oh, we're going to do a wrestling movie." That was the movie I thought we were going to do because I know you hadn't seen it. Uh, so I was surprised yeah. that you brought up Foul King. That 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 is on the list, but I was I was trying not to go too. It's a weird. squid that wrestles is <laughs> a wrestler who turns into a giant squid. That there is a whole sub-genre of Japanese cinema we just haven't addressed. Yes, yeah, the same director did Crab Goalkeeper and Salary Man Koala. Yeah. There's a whole rubbery side of things we really need to address at some point, some point soon. Oh yes, and certainly when we get into Halloween, I've already started putting together the list for our <laughs> audience to vote on and I think there's, there's some interesting titles there. It's uh, it's a whole box of nightmares that we put together. There. <laughs> it's passable enough. 
Uh, there's parts yeah. of it that are fun, but generally it just didn't do what I wanted it to do. So, no, I, th- I think it's I think it's it's an early movie by somebody who's going to become a great director, um, and and you think his next full film that he does. And obviously, I'd really recommend coming out the short film. I was really lucky. Oh, a few years ago, he came to um, London. I guess it was in around the Last Stand. Um, and they, so, so, you know, he was, he was around to pimp this Schwarzenegger film, but they did a showing of all his short films, including coming out and the segment from three that, that he did and, and a few other little bits and bobs. And I got to see them at the big screen. Then he did like an interview at the end and I regret not recording it because he's a really interesting guy, but yeah, coming out the short film he made about. It's like a, a sort of a mockumentary about being vampires. Really good. But, you know, he goes on from the Falcon. King. His next feature is A Tale of Two Sisters. And you think, what an accomplished... I know you've done it on this show and you've done it on Movies and Tea as well, haven't you? Um, it's just such... Is it Movies and Tea you did it? And you did it somewhere I else. did it on, um, but, yeah. on uh, Mad Bad and Direct Strange Showcase. Um, that, that's right. But it's a really accomplished film. And... To see where he goes from there to here is astonishing. And then we've done a bittersweet life. We've, you know, we've talked about good, the bad, the weird. I know we both like. I saw the devil, and he's just, just, just he gets got better and better and better and better. And then, I don't know. I like the Age of Shadows, I suppose. But I haven't really followed his work since the Last Stand, which I really should go back and address. All right, are we done? I'm Have done. we done this yeah. one? Are we done? What's next, mate? Okay, so that obviously wraps up uh, tonight's episode. Thank you for listening as always. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Come say hi to us there and uh, you know, leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show as the old health rates profile of the show. Uh, also check out our sponsor, yespleasevintage.com for always a great range of uh, of uh, things to check out on there um, and if you're obviously in the Baltimore area make sure you uh, look out for Lindsay who will be at various craft fairs and flea markets um, throughout the year so always keep check on her site to see where she is if you'd rather go and check out her bits and pieces in person um, but on the next episode we are going to be looking at a Sonny Chiba movie because we haven't really looked at it much Sonny Chiba no um, in particular, we're going to be looking at the film which inspired the cult blockbuster action movie Speed as we check out the bullet train from 1975. Ah, cool. Um, in which Sonichiba plays a train operator who has to save the hundreds of passengers on board when a terrorist plant a bomb on the bullet train, which will detonate if the train slows below 8 kilometers. So that is where we're going uh, next time. This one is available if you want to watch along with us. You can find it on Amazon. Um, Ultimate Asia put it out as part of the Sonny Chiba Collection Volume 2, which also included Gogo 13 and GI Samurai, which was uh, remade as Kamamando Samurai uh, in the uh, 2000s as well, which is also really good as well as the original. So, But uh, no, we're going to check out uh, some classic Sonny Chiba. Excellent. I've not seen this, so it'll be a first-time watch for me. It's also our first disaster movie we've uh, covered on the show. Yeah, we did... Have we not done any disaster movies? Oh, gosh. Oh, we could, we could do a whole year and then. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I'm looking forward to watching this one. So uh, that's obviously coming up on our next episode. But until then, thank you for listening. Thank you to my co Stephen. And we'll be back next time to talk about The Bullet Train. But until then, good night. Hey! 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 Tick
昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.